Hello darling listeners, this episode of Platforms and Pitfalls is a little bit different. This time, it's a live show that we recorded for the Tasmanian Game Developers Society. It was a lot of fun. We hope you enjoy this and we hope we get a chance to do something similar in the future. It was loads of fun. And thank you so much to the Tasmanian Game Developers Society for hosting us for this. Anyway, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Platforms and Pitfalls. I'm Rowan. And I'm Blue. And we're going to talk about game design today because we think game design is cool and interesting and worth talking about. So our show's format, if you're not familiar with it, is that we look at five games each month that approach one aspect of game design in different ways. We've been doing this show for a little bit less than a year now and we're very excited to try this in a live show format. If at any point you have any questions, please feel free to ask us them. I'm just raising your hand. So today's topic is antagonistic co-op. So antagonistic co-op is... Usually in cooperative games, you work together and working together is always to your benefit and your allies are always your advantage. In games that are about antagonistic co-op, your allies are part of the challenge. You have to work around people. Like You still have to work with people. You still have to work with your allies. You still have to work with the other players playing the game with you. But there's this element of if everyone only pays attention to what they're doing, they might get in each other's way they probably will get in each other's way in a lot of our examples. Yeah, it's inevitable that you will get in the way with someone unless you are very well rehearsed in these games. And so on that note, is everyone clear with what we're trying to cover? Or would you like to ask anything? Makes sense. Pretty sensible. Cool beans. Go, Kevin. Well, for our first game, we're going to talk about the game that we had on display at the back, Overcooked. This is a 2016 game by Ghost Town Games and it's a cooperative cooking adventure where you travel the lands, mailing new recipes and making new meals in weird and different kitchens. They're very weird and different kitchens. Yeah, some are in balloons, some are in cars that are driving alongside each other and sometimes connecting. Sometimes you're cooking on ice, like... And I don't mean that in a, oh, it's cooking on ice. No, and sometimes you're cooking on ice and it's slippery. And so part of the challenge of the game are these weird environments that you have to deal with. But a larger part and a more consistent part, and honestly, it's a game that doesn't work well at all as a single player component, mm. is the challenge of working around your fellow chefs. So there, I think this is true of all the games. There's collision that's very important to the game, as in trying to be in the same space as your friend will not work out well for you. So if you're both trying to get to the same cooking station, if you're both trying to get to the same chopping board, it's not, you're going to get in each other's way. And the levels abuse this in different ways. For example, in the first Overcooked game, there's a level that is a ring of various stations. There's one character wide. So up to that point, you may have decided that, oh, I'm going to do X and he'll do Y. In this level, you no longer can do that without being a huge fuss to everyone. So you end up having to change your plans to stop being a huge problem to each other. And every level presents this in a different way. And honestly, the in my opinion, what is, is one of the brilliant points of Overcooked is how simple this is implemented. It's not complicated. You bounce off each other. That really is it. You, you just get in each other's way in a physical sense. The screen is a fixed size. It doesn't move very much. There, there's a bit more screen movement mm-hmm. in the second iteration of the game. But for the most part, it's one screen. And, you know, like that doesn't... You, you're just in each other's way. It just happens. You can be given all the space in the world. People still take optimal lines and that involves walking into each other. Yeah, so Overcooked sort of 
true is that you end up focusing too much on yourself in general and by focusing on yourself you end up being an interference to the other players and so a really good overcooked set of players will tend to have a lot of good communication going on but inevitably there's so much communication going on that even that attempt to get around that issue ends up just amplifying itself all the more there's no real way to get around being in each other's way in these spaces so like let's talk about it in a bit more detail because there are quote-unquote dominant strategies as you said once you play with a group of more experienced players you tend to start to develop strategies that make sense for certain things and one of the things is i will handle x task and player b will handle y task and player c will handle z task and depending on how early you latch on to a strategy like that that actually works really really well because early on you're given quite a bit of space and freedom of movement in terms of the level design but the game and you know the simple brilliance of it is that it knows its strength is when it puts people in other people's way. So one example is the first one where, uh, the, the first example that Rowan was just describing where it's a very narrow stretch of kitchen and you literally have to just rotate around the kitchen to be able to make anything work because you take up so much space. But something that they got more comfortable doing is actually just moving the cooking stations around so that yes, I may still be focused on that one task, but now I have to move with my station and, and me moving gets me in the way of other players. Or you know maybe your strategy develops to adapt with that. I'm gonna stay here no matter what is here in the area to do. And then the recipes might change so that you need to be more mobile or there may be more tasks than there are people to do them players to do them and very quickly there are more tasks than players this yeah, is something very very quickly, quickly. especially yeah. i'm less experienced with the second game but in the first game the aspect of washing up yeah it's like there are always some infrequent but necessary tasks that you wouldn't assign someone to do that mm-hmm. but must be done so there's a lot of uneven amounts of tasks which stop that assigning happening all the time so it really is one of in our opinions the best examples of antagonistic co-op your goals are all aligned, but you're likely to be getting in each other's way. I think that's a good summary of what we think of Overcooked. Yep. Are there any questions, notes, comments? Yeah, you guys had a brief chance to play Overcooked. Did you have any thoughts on it? Or about this concept in as an abstract whole? How much, I guess how much of it is, is about cognitive overload? Just having so much going on that, you know, yeah, even if you were a, a great player, there, there's just human limitations to how well you can... So, so the question is, how much of it is cognitive overload and how much is just trying to get more information in the player's head than they can handle? I actually think that it's not. Really, I was, I had the, so in the games that we've got here, a lot of this is cognitive overload, I think. Because I would, like, my initial gut reaction is, yeah, absolutely, it's cognitive overload, you're doing too much. But if you think about it, there aren't that many tasks. There are more tasks than players normally, mm-hmm. but that still ranges in the number of, like, six and we normally assume that the cognitive overload happens at about seven to 13 is it like you know like a weird number but a bit higher than this i don't think any player is thinking there's too many tasks to do in that sense but i think that it is unlikely to get a group of people who mm-hmm. approach the cognitive task in the same way so because it's so manageable everyone is acting very few people freeze up when in, in overcooked. Yeah, everyone has something that they're doing. There's very little like, what do I do? What do I do? But without coordination, they end up in each other's way, is what I think. 
Mm-hmm. But you thought there was cognitive overload? I think there is a lot of cognitive overload, sure. especially in some of these other games too. Like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, you can't keep track of everyone. The yep. cognitive overload isn't the tasks. The cognitive overload tends to come in by factoring tasks plus people. Plus people, absolutely. That's definitely and one if aspect. if you think of the it. numbers, like, if you say, like, six there's tasks usually about six and tasks three and, other people. You know, three other people, that brings you up to nine, that brings you just over that threshold where yeah. things start getting fussy. Yeah, like, absolutely. Bu- fuzzy. Yes, uh, sort of. Yes, you know, like yeah. Any other comments, or are we ready to move on to the next game? We had a brief chance to look at the next game in the setup we've got at the back, Snipper Clips. Snipper Clips is a 2017 game by SFB Games, published on the Nintendo Switch, and it's a co-op friend cutting game where you cut your friends into various shapes to solve puzzles this game appears oh sorry no i yeah i was gonna just say that it really is that simple to describe and that probably does a poor job describing the game this might be one of those examples where if this it all interests someone listening to this please go look it up it's really cool it's really interesting but yeah uh, keep going yeah so if you've only had a chance to play it very shortly, it seems like it's just like, oh, this is very cooperative. But where Snipper Clips becomes really interesting is it's very analog in the way that a lot of physics-based puzzlers tend to be. And you can often come up with very janky, silly solutions. But that means that there's also a lot of ways for things to go wrong. And especially when you're playing with someone new, you tend to have to take a while to develop a shared language yep. of what you want to do what you want to call the shapes you end up making each other and a lot of the puzzles rely on very tight teamwork such as moving liquid from one part to the other and if you move out of sync everything starts falling apart and that need to really work strongly in tandem very strongly in tandem tends to make it a bit more easy to be like no no no, you move no no no, you move no no no. we need this in sync and so on this one is less about getting in each other's way as it is more about not thinking on the same wavelength that's weird i guess to put it that way but if you could play this game with another copy of yourself i don't think you'll ever struggle and it does have a single player mode where you can alternate control of the shapes and things and it's not as fun it's not as fun but it is very manageable for the most part. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's worth noting that Snipperclips is a two to, uh, one to four player game. Yes. And so was Overcooked. But Snipperclips functions best as a two player game. A lot of like the iconography is two of the of the Snipperclips. I actually yes. don't know what they're called. Let's I call assume, them Snipperclips. Yeah, the Snipperclips. Let's just call them that. And it, it really works best with twos. And so when you play a four player game, oftentimes the puzzle pairs you off. So for whatever that's worth, it, it really is about working together with mostly one other person. Not as heavy of a load in, in terms of like understanding what everyone is doing and understanding what everyone where everyone is on screen in that sense. But the, the closeness that you have to work together, I think kind of makes up for that. Yeah, I think it's really just about that closeness that is its distinguishing feature. And uh, or Overcooked is more about focusing on yourself by accident and then getting in people's way. In Clips, you end up by focusing too much on your friend. Yeah, you you, like, you stop thinking about what your clipper is looks like in a lot of cases. You're, you're very aware of what you're doing with them because you're trying to help your friend get into the right shape. But then you kind of start to forget that you have to get into a, a you know an equivalent yeah. or different shape. And sometimes what happens is that 
in the more advanced levels at least, you need to get someone halfway there, let them get you most of the way there, and then finish someone off. Because the shapes that you cut affect how much the, uh, your friend can cut out of you. Because you cut, if it's not clear, you cut whatever overlaps. So if you become like a very small square, you can only cut a very small square of someone else. Yeah. If you're mostly intact, then you can cut the entirety of someone away in one stroke if you're positioned right. And this is actually a really great part of antagonistic co-op that I like, which is sometimes forcing players to undo progress. And that that hurts players sometimes because they, they, they are like they get into the mindset where I'm almost there. I just need to get over the line and but you can't. The right way forward is to undo progress to be able to do it right and take it step by step. And I think that's really great because it challenges the mindset that most players go into this of forward progress is always forward progress. Not always. And it's not that Supercrypts does this amazingly well, but there are moments where it comes out and does this. And there are various puzzles where like, you have to make a shape, cut things out, and you have to undo all that yep. and then continue cutting somewhere else. Yeah. Like, you might be making progress on the map, but you might have to be resetting your shape progress. And sometimes right. it can take a while to craft your exact shapes that you've made yeah. to solve certain problems. Uh, yeah, the, the, the task of cutting a shape just to get the negative of it on your friend is super interesting. And I think there's also, it's a very analog game. And so there's a lot of like, just inch yourself a little bit higher. No, 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 crouch a little bit more. The jump physics are also a little bit janky. And a number of like the movement aspects of the game are just a little bit janky. And I think that just helps randomness come in to help you make mistakes that are both funny in the moment, but also a little bit frustrating. A little bit frustrating. It definitely is. Especially if you spend, because it's one of those games where you can spend upwards of five minutes trying to get to a solution. Mm -hmm. And if you're in minute four and then you screw up, that really hurts because it feels like such a long time to get. The good thing is that once you know the solution, it's not that bad. You still have to wrestle with the analog controls a bit. And this is kind of affected by, like, it's, it's one of the best ways to play it is on the Switch Joy-Cons. They are small controllers. They're not the most responsive analog sticks. So some of this is actually just the hardware fighting you back. And in fact, it wasn't didn't support the Pro Controller at launch. It was a later patched-in thing, which many players were very upset that it was not in the launch version. But it, it speaks it to of, its vision. Yeah, it, it kind of makes sense. Like, it was designed for, it was designed around the Switch Joy-Cons. And like a lot of the experience actually comes from that hardware of wrangling this tiny thing in your hands because it's meant to be played as two separate Joy-Cons. Yeah, two separate Joy-Cons. Held in two hands. Like two tiny Joy-Cons held in two hands. And it seems like it's targeting the tabletop mode of the Switch where you play on a small display on the table in front of you as opposed to the TV, which is why it's big geometric shapes. Nothing on that UI is small and hard to read. Yeah. Except maybe credits and copyright information. So, so there's a lot of smart things that it does in terms of presentation, in terms of even hardware choice, which don't always agree with people because they're mm. meant to be a bit frustrating. And I think that's really cool and, and it does kind of cool things. I think the very cutesy aesthetic, like the shapes yeah. giggle when they're cut by each other and things. Like the game to mitigate, I guess, some levels of frustration that it can create from you and your friend working together is that the characters themselves seem to have a great time even when they're fully cut up and destroyed by your ally and they just reappear whole again like it's a very pleasant way to die <laughs> mm, yeah yeah okay and of course, like, <laughs> if, if, if the imagery wasn't nice and sweet it would be kind it, of horrific yeah it would be it would be so again you guys got a very short amount of time with snipper clips was there anything that stood out to you that we hadn't really covered yet 
Um, when I played it, it felt like it was pretty forgiving. It sounds like when you get to the higher levels, it's a bit different. <laughs> it's always a bit forgiving. Like, it's never going to be too strict about everything. But yeah, it is... It can be very... Yeah, it's fairly forgiving. But when it wants to be, it'll be like, no, 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 just a little bit more. The difficulty of Sniper Clips also lies in how different are you from the person you're playing with. Yes. So if you are... If you're very easygoing and relaxed, but your friend that you're playing with is very gotta get this right, no, 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 no do this. If they're if they're if they're a bit of a control freak, snipper clip starts to get really testy. Yeah, very much so. And also, um, as someone who gets to play games with people who speak different languages, like language barriers, or like even like me and the person both speak English, but they speak they they might use like oh make me big, make me small. And these things are very, might be different nuances. So you end up learning that language might use the same words, but be implemented very differently in a number of these situations. Because, yeah, at the end of the day, if you thought the exact same, if you were playing with a clone of yourself, Snipper Clips isn't that challenging. It's about working with, around, and against your friend. This game seems very Nintendo. Like. It is very Nintendo, which is why it's interesting that it was... By published by Nintendo, it wasn't developed by them. Is it on any other platform? No, they seized the publishing rights and they put it as a launch for Switch very deliberately, I think. Yeah. I don't think it was originally made for the Switch, but it seems like it was built for it. It really feels custom built for the Switch, down to the color palette that they used being the very pastel-y colors that became... Because Nintendo products were very white in the Wii and Wii U era. The Wii U had a black phase, but the Switch is pastel-y. And Snipperclips is very pastel-y as well. Also, Nintendo was the only company to make a first-person shooter that didn't feel non-violent, <laughs> and it seems appropriate that they would have this yeah, snipping yeah, massacre game very much that so, it yeah. doesn't feel violent, it feels happy and, mm. and joyous. I, I guess since you brought it up, I will point it out. Uh, SFB, the, the people who made Snipperclips, uh, would probably be better known to a lot of the internet as uh, the Super Flash Brothers. They were a, a group of people who made Flash animations back in the day on Newgrounds and stuff, and I'm a huge fan of a lot of their work. They did a couple of very funny videos called The Decline of Video Gaming, and and, and there was a series of that. And I'm really glad to see that the the Newgrounds pedigree of developers and animators and stuff have come out and, and start making more things. Obviously, the other ones being like Dan Paladin and uh, Behemoth, if I'm not mistaken, the ones who did Alien Hominid and stuff like that. Oh, so, that's Yeah, so all of that's all Newgrounds pedigree, and uh, Snipperclips, like, proud addition to that lineage i think well if that's it we've got for snippet clips at the moment we might take a short break mm -hmm. and then come back and done. talk about our next title so our third game is super mario 3d world We'll probably accidentally say land once or twice because we're very bad with words, apparently. Um, it's a 2013 game by Nintendo EAD Studios and for the Wii U. And like a lot of the new Super Mario games, it has a lot of co-op aspects to it. And much like Overcooked, when you run into each other, it is running into each other. You don't just pass through. And that creates a lot of this antagonistic co-op tension that you all are occupying the same space and you're all competing for sharing spaces on things like platforms and such. But to me, what makes Mario, and particularly this Mario, a great example of antagonistic co-op is at the end of a stage, you get given points based on how well you did. And the person who has the most points gets a crown. The crown does nothing mechanically. All it does is at the end of the next stage, 
If you happen to have the crown at the end of the stage, you get 5,000 more points, which is often enough to push you just a little bit ahead of someone else who may have been more deserving of that crown. And this little touch to me, every group I've seen play with it, adds a lot of this like bad feelings towards each other. Like, there's a lot of things going on already that might induce that, but like that crown makes a little bit of like, whoever's in the lead is slightly despised by everyone else. Whoever's in the lead, people want to just like race past them. And I think it serves a lot of interesting functions. What's your experience with this game? I will be honest, I haven't had too much hands-on experience with this game, but I get the gist of it, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, the, the thing about the crown that really has to be emphasized is that it doesn't do anything for you. Getting more score doesn't make you a better Mario player. Ask anyone. That's not how that works. The skill is getting no score. <laughs> the skill is getting no score. There, there are no, no coin challenges for a lot of Mario games. But the, the thing is that this is probably Nintendo's CV to like evil uh, overlord status because it is so it's so Mario it, it's a Mario game right so it has all the Nintendo trappings of a Mario game it's it's bright it's colorful it's it's upbeat music and stuff like that but so jazzy it, yeah this is where they really start to just put players against each other not accidentally but it really feels like on purpose oh like extra little things that really help this like when you if you want to pick up something you press the run button if you press the run button near someone you pick up them you release it to go oh i'm sorry i didn't mean to do that and you damage end up throwing them. Damage was done. Damage is done. If you do it on a platform back, you either need to commit hard to not letting them go and just doing the jump yourself, or by throwing them and hoping they survive, which they won't. Yeah, there's no way to drop a person. Um, there? there probably is because there always is when we like live and yeah, doing this. Yeah. But yeah, offhand, there isn't an easy way to do it. I think they can probably jump and escape yeah. it. Yeah. But in the moment. You might not be thinking It's also that. one of the most horrible things you can do to a player. Take away their agency. So like, as a designer, that's one of a, that's a taboo, right? You, you don't just take someone's control away from them randomly. But that's exactly what they what Nintendo has given a player in, in a multiplayer setting there. And also like that absence of play, like um if you if the first player gets too far ahead, or the most first head player gets too far ahead, you end up getting bubbled. Being trapped in a bubble that you can escape from or be tapped out of to join back in the play. And some players just like, oh, I can't do this section, I'll just get bubbled. And it's a, supposed to be a way of inclusion, but if you're not that kind of player, it can be very upsetting to constantly be in the bubble. Yep, because you have to navigate the bubble towards someone. And sure, you move fast on the screen, but it's still annoying. Like, it's not responsive bubble controls. No. But see, just on that as well. So obviously player ahead pulls the screen with them. That makes sense. You you go, the levels are fairly linear. So you pull the level in the direction of forward, right? Here's another evil touch. Different power-ups allow you to move at different speeds. And also different characters move at different speeds. And different Pe characters literally just move at different speeds. Peach moves slower, Tobe moves faster. Yep. Um, so there's always going to be a mismatch here. And it also doesn't help that Mario games tend to be designed in such a way that luck will favor you if you go at full speed. Like all the platforms tend to line up much more nicely if you just keep going and don't stop. Hesitation is often the thing that kills you in Mario games even as early as Mario 3 for the NES. Yeah. On top on top of this, if everyone bubbles and you as the one person not in a bubble screw up and die, you lose. <laughs> You have to restart the level or that section over. Yeah. So if you want to be good, make sure you're good. Because if you're not good enough to be good, you just ruin it for everyone. Yeah, if you can't carry. If you can't carry, then 
everything just falls apart. It, it, it's so good at putting blame on one person in that way. Yeah. So it creates a lot of interesting social dynamics. And what was really cool the last time I played with a group of friends for this specific research was that I tagged in a lot of people in and out of the play session. And no matter what the skill levels were, you always end up with the same like attitudes going in. There was always the leader that everyone got annoyed at for going too fast. There was always the person who ended up bubbled. There was always someone who was out doing something that didn't matter and always like having to be caught up like no no no, don't worry about that there's always someone who wants to hunt for the stars and can't do so because the person in the lead wants to just rush forwards and no matter whether it was all good people a few good people a few people who don't play games very much these things always seem to occur which is really fascinating that you get this consistent social dynamic maybe it's just the people that i gathered with but it's interesting that configurations of them in different ways had the same outcome and i want to add as well on in in the topic of just being able to pull the screen isn't this the game that introduced clear pipes yes it is yeah so they literally introduced a mechanic for you to travel faster in the level which didn't exist before because pipes teleported you into subworlds or overworlds or whatever and i usually wait a gate progression like yeah everyone classes together yeah. at every pipe so that no one gets too far ahead and behind is it, sort of it the was logic. rare to find a forward-facing spring for example i think those did exist but very rarely normally if you find springs or super springs they're going up so you don't pull the screen with you too often but clear pipes are just a way for a player to go zooming off in one direction and probably bubbling someone nintendo probably not so so nice they're, they're, they're slightly evil and this is not the only game they've done this in like no. things like four swords adventures have similar mechanics to the crown um new super mario brothers on the wii and wii u also have the same collision and grabbing mechanics like this is not their first foray into this style of system it's definitely like something they've built up to yeah. beforehand and obviously Mario Party is well known for ruining relationships, but that's that's not cooperative. That is always competitive. Competitive, yeah. So the fact that they've been trying this for a long time in cooperative games shows that they they know what they're doing, and they really they think that this sort of feeling actually really enhances these games. And I think it, it, it at least makes, it does. Yeah, I think yeah. it makes them a lot more passionate. It also Absolutely. makes them a lot more silly. Yep. A lot of more chaotic things happen than you would have done if these features were not in the games. And to be fair, this is Nintendo polish. So. They don't just throw you in the deep end with this. The first few game, first few levels of the game are actually fairly wide open spaces. You're not so claustrophobic as to be stuck on each other straight away. And often there's like a few different routes as well. Like you yeah. can all be on screen and someone on the high ground, someone on the low ground and yeah. the foreground. And you know, someone on the high ground will be rewarded with like uh, coins, like big coins, coins and or power ups, yeah, and stuff like that. So so. It, it has all the typical Mario trappings where if you do a bit of exploration, you're normally rewarded for it. But someone pulling ahead will actually pull you ahead because the exploration doesn't move the level forward. And as the levels progress, as you get further through the game, you just start, and get, you start getting more checkpoints. So you'd think that in a 3D environment, relatively speaking, you have a lot of XY positions to be able to occupy. You're not going to run into each other that much. But the levels tend to choke every so often so that they force players into the same spots which makes sense you know there's a pipe that takes you to the next area there's a clear pipe that transitions to the next platform stuff like that and so you do end up on each other due to the nature of that yeah i think that's the major points covered yep does anyone have any experience with this game or any thoughts about that sort of thing, or any sort of these nintendo antagonistic co-op style games perhaps i don't have any experience but what makes them fun from your description, that side was lacking a little bit. Alright, question is what makes them fun? The things that make this antagonistic are there and do cause frustration, but the gameplay, a lot of the gameplay is 
not those things. Like, the crowd doesn't do anything. It's still fun to navigate the level. Yes, occasionally pick up your friend and throw them, but playing and moving in a great Mario feeling game is just a very pleasant experience. It's a very good kinesthetic experience. If I ever had to describe Mario, it wouldn't be in terms of what he does or what the challenges in the game are. It'd be in the movement. Mario has always been about movement and it's a bit better exemplified in the 2D games. I will say I feel like Mario's 2D movement really set the bar for every... That's why so many platformers don't feel as good because someone at some point in their life probably played Mario or, or enough of a clone of Mario that they now know that's good movement. Mario's always been about movement. And to that end, if you ever find someone who plays at that speed, at your speed in this game, this is a great speed game. Not necessarily world-class speedrunner level, but if you want to try to do it fast and that's your goal, or if you or if you and your friend know we're always doing this secret and then racing to the end, this is actually a really fun game because sure, you're not the same speed, but each character has tricks that they can do to kind of like even yeah. the playing, playing field in terms of speed. That's right. So does that answer your question? Do you have a bit better feel of why it might be actually be fun? Yeah. And we should say, like, all these games, I think we think, other than one maybe, are actually genuinely fun. Absolutely. But that fun is, like, made by, partially influenced by, like, the tension that they have in them. Yeah, yeah. The, like, some of the fun comes from the challenge of your friends. Yeah. Like in all games, the fun is in the challenge of them. Yeah. Not all games. In a number of games. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else? No. Okay then. So our next game is Kane and Lynch Dead Men. A 2007 game by IO Interactive. It is not fondly remembered. It is not really especially good and honestly the mechanic that we're going to talk about today in it isn't especially great but we did see promise in it and there is we'll get to the concept of where it is but first we should talk about what the game is we kind of skipped the mario description because i'm sure most people kind of understand what a mario game is like Ken lynch dead men is first person shooter third person third person shooter thank you uh and in the cooperative mode is split screen for some bizarre reason. And it's restricted to that it does have an online multiplayer mode, but only versus, not cooperative, which given the goals of some of its mechanics seems very unusual. It seems like a game that would be much better in separate monitors. Yeah. And and one last thing, it's a fairly average typical cover-based shooter if you are familiar with that kind of game. And from the era where the game sort of had, like if you do nothing, you often your allies will do the job for <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. We, we played the opening tutorial sequence and we got to a point where we just asked ourselves, if we do nothing, can we progress? And the NPCs that were coming along with us shot all the enemies dead and then we progressed through the door. So it's one of those kinds of games. Yeah, it has a lot of ambition though. Like it opens in a way that demonstrates it knows what it's doing with co-op. It does. One character has just been, had head trauma and their screen is fuzzy. The other characters is clear. It does lots of these sort of things throughout the game. But what's particularly noteworthy is one of the characters has a kind of schizophrenia, I believe. Okay, yeah. And it's not depicted terribly well as far as mental conditions go. But what they do is at various points in the game, if that character does certain actions, it will trigger a psychotic episode for them. And on their screen, various characters that should appear as allies or at least npcs as in neutral yeah. parties neutral parties will appear like the enemy usually they have npc armor because their plot relative that second player can kill them and so they can be a nuisance plot wise to the protagonist the protagonist is trying to do the good thing your ally is suddenly actively 
hurting your allies. And this is a bit more visceral than just they can shoot them because what opens up is the ability to perform melee takedown kills. Sweeping them off their feet, punching them in their face repeatedly and then just kind of breaking their neck. And like that's a lot more than just shooting someone in the face. You cannot normally shoot civilian, you cannot normally melee take down a civilian, but in this kind of psychotic break mode, they actively go out of their way to enable this for you. They behave exactly like your normal enemies and can be taken down like your normal enemies. Yeah, and when we researched this, I kind of misinterpreted, I guess, the reading on it, because there were some very good blog posts that cover this particular aspect of the game interestingly. And I thought it'd be particular narrative moments that you're on separate screens for, and that as player one, I would have to talk down player two. from like, no, 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 you can't do that. You need to stop doing that. We need to progress. But since it's a shared screen and a triggered mechanic, it loses it it nearly is a very excellent way to tell a story by having you and your ally have sometimes separate goals that you need to like resolve what is the real thing to do in practice it is almost more of like a score bonus in a horrific manner I guess so. Because think of the concept of this, that if you're playing a cooperative game that is either first or third person view, that, that your, your viewpoint matters is what I mean. So you have separate screens and asynchronous information that one of you gets wrong information or maybe even both of you could get wrong information. Yeah, like and it's who up is to, the right person yeah. is a question that the game could be raising and doesn't. Unfortunately, it doesn't. So we're still bringing it up in this episode because that's still a really cool idea. That's still really awesome if you want to do a cooperative thing and just give feed players at different times incorrect information and have them work out which one to act on. That's actually a really cool dynamic. Yeah, and it's something that only games and co-op can do. Like the unreliable narrator trope is a really interesting trope that a lot of stories use really effectively or even multiple narrators. But, and this, and with gameplay though, each of us is seeing our own narration of the story and that being different is such a good idea but I don't think I've really seen other things. And if anyone knows of another game that does this well, please tell us. <laughs> yeah, we admittedly don't have as much experience in a lot of first-person narrative games as we should. Third person. Third, first, third person. You know what I mean. Guns and shooty bits. Uh, I don't play as many uh, narrative games out of those as I honestly should. Like, I can't do the shooty things. Yeah, fair. So based on like our description, like I imagine you aren't very familiar with the game. Does anyone have any sort of thoughts on what we've talked about is, is what you're saying that it's sort of uh, like a good idea but not great execution yeah it's a really great idea that is hindered by i'm not sure if they wanted to go as far as we were describing at all yeah but they the, wanted the, to... the beginning of it is there like you look at that idea and you go oh if i take this to the logical conclusion that could be a really cool thing i'm not sure if they were committed to getting there in the first place themselves yeah and the game it has a lot of great ideas that it doesn't always in the amount that we've got to play of it doesn't seem to always quite execute on but it's made by io interactive who do the hitman games, hitman games yeah so like it's a very competent studio that when they have the time and energy can make absolutely incredible work so i think that the limitations of the game are more out of probably de developmental constraints or budget constraints than they were a lack of having good ideas this doesn't really speak on the quality of the rest of the game we're just saying that th this cooperative asynchronous information aspect of it could have been pushed further yes and that it served as a like great jumping off point to like that thought experiment yeah and when you read how other people write about it it's clear that people get a lot more out of it than perhaps it really appears to be i can imagine something like that in a horror game any sort of co-op horror game where there's things that appear to one player but not the other. So yeah, uh, the comment was that 
this could be this asynchronous information thing could be really cool and, and useful in a kind of horror setting. The actual first game I thought of with unreliable protagonist was uh, Fear. Go on. Which does a lot of things like this, where mm-hmm. where y- the you see you see not uh, hallucinations. You see things that aren't really there. You have the sanity meter, and and you know you, you can get up to a breaking point, and then things just start becoming weird. I, I guess that's the yeah. that's the that's the spoiler free version. <laughs> things start becoming weird. And in a lot of the instances in fear, you're never actually under threat. That it's it's all perceived threat. So having a second player along for the ride, in a in in horror games, the, one of the reasons that horror games aren't normally multiplayer is that having someone there tempers the fear because it's all fake, and someone there helps ground you in how fake it is. Very few horror games really work with another player. There are exceptions. Dead by Daylight is is one I can think of straight away, which is which is pretty cool. But I think in this case, because if if you if you set out to feed someone incorrect information just to have players bicker about who is right, I think there's something there. I don't know if there's a full game there, but it feels like you have the beginnings of an idea. Yeah, it's like it's like a few small portions, or yeah. maybe a very short game. Yeah. What's even better is if you could make them think that they're allies, but are actually at odds. That would be great. If one of them knew that their goal at the end of the day was to backstab the other person, and the first person didn't know that, that would actually I mean, be great. That would be literally antagonistic co-op. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, that sounds good for Kenny Lynch Dead Men. I guess we'll move on to our last game that we're going to talk about today. So our last game is Space Team, which is the oldest game on this list, which seems really odd. It's not. But it? Kenny Lynch was oh, sorry, yes, it is. Like, I, I know it's not. It's a long day. Space Team is not the oldest game on this list. Um, it is a 2012, 2012 game by Sleeping Beast Games. And it is a cooperative spaceship game on Android where each player downloads the app on their own phone. Every player has a screen with a number of dials and prompts. And every player is getting distinct information. Like I might be told the blasters need to be on high and then one of the other players in the environment has the blaster snob so they would turn it onto high and someone might have shields and then someone might say oh shields need to be turned down or something yeah. so there's a constant flow of instructions there's a constant flow of players having different buttons and you not knowing what everyone else has so i don't know whether blue has thrusters or simon has thrusters or Archibald has thrusters. i just say Same. the information and everyone's getting a lot of information everyone's getting like two or three prompts at any given time. Everything has to be done quickly. Yeah, so the, the main thing about it is that you get information about controls and knobs that you don't have. And most of the time, the in, the instructions you're given are needy. As in, there's a time limit. You have to accomplish something in a certain time frame or all of you are going to die in the game. And that's bad. In, in the game. And you don't know what the value of your information is, so... Everyone has to act as if their information is critical, which inevitably involves talking over each other, and thus mishearing, and thus someone doing something wrong. So that too much information, that cognitive overload that we talked about a bit earlier, is exactly what Space Team is all about. There's, it's a yelly game. Just as a fair warning to anyone who might play it, it's a yelly game. Because you start polite, you're like, uh, shields need to be, and by the end of it, you are shouting over someone saying, Shields, now! <laughs> Everything just escalates. It, it 100% does. And 
you know, the game does a really good job at selling the urgency, which is really how it sells you trying to shout over someone. Because there are aspects of the game, like as you go on, as you progress through the game, your controls start to get mucked up by goop, and you start freaking out because you now can't do the things even if people tell you to do. So you start screaming at someone to get that fixed before you can do the thing that you can. So there is this list of priority of tasks to be done, shared by a number of people who have a it in probably different orders that all are trying to shout to each other what their ordered lists are. And that's really where the antagonistic co-op comes from in this game. There are a few other games that have like these similar like information overloads, but this one, by everyone having their own distinct separate information, I think is what makes it yep. unique. Well, okay, so, so to be fair, separate information does not make that unique. There are plenty, there are other asynchronous, yeah. yeah, separate screen games. Artemis Bridge Simulator is one that immediately comes to mind. The, the real thing that separates the two is the urgency yeah. in it. Like, yes. There are moments of tension in bridge simulator games where something needs to be done quick and the right person needs to act on it, but Space Team doesn't assign anyone roles. You get your consoles randomly. You get your instructions randomly. Sometimes you can actually just do the instruction you get on your own screen. That's not the point. The point is that you don't know who has the screen you need. So you can't just single someone out and say that. Because in the bridge simulator, you can go uh, pilot, uh, thrusters on full, for example. You know exactly who you're talking to. In Space Team, that might be the person on your left, and then two minutes later might be the person on your right. That gets confusing after a while. Because each each mission is like a short level, like only yep. a few minutes, and then you get a new set of controls. That's and right. it's how many consecutive Missions rounds of this succeed, you can succeed yeah. in. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, after 20 minutes, you might think, oh, yes, definitely he has yeah. this function. It's constantly in flux. Yeah. It's like a very short, like, arcade experience. Yep. Uh, Arcade Experience is a really good description for it. It's a great party game. I have no idea what the maximum number of players is. It's relatively high. It's relatively high. I think I once did a six-player game, and we had room to grow from that. So it might go up to like 10. Who knows? Yeah. It's all just... I, actually, I, I I'm going over this because I actually do strongly encourage people if they get a chance to be in a group of people to try it with because it's a free-to-play Android game. All you need is a Wi-Fi network, I think. Thing. Bluetooth. It actually suggests oh, it does you play Bluetooth, Bluetooth that's right, after that's a certain right. point. Yeah. Because Wi-Fi has a little bit more lag yeah, and yeah. the game gets very intense. Yeah. So So I, I do encourage you if you can get in the group of friends to try it with. It's a great exercise in screaming at your friends. And because it's free, it's small file size because it's from 2012. If you're just out in the wild and you just I've got a group of friends, what am I gonna do? Just play it. To grab it, play it, you're good. Assuming you've got data. I mean, you got that. Does that make sense? Does anyone have any comments, questions about that? Awesome. That that honestly covers our games. Yeah, that covers our games. So we started looking at Overcooked, where a core part is like interference by focusing on yourself perhaps more than your allies. Yep. Moving to clips where part of the difficulty is the analog nature and maybe working too closely in tandem, creating dissonance between you. Yeah. Mario 3D World uses a lot of little features to let you get in each other's way and also to create levels of tension between you, such as 
useless mechanics like the crown mechanic. Red herring mechanics. Red herring mechanics is a much better term. They're there to distract you from your overall goal, which is to work together and have fun with your friend. And Kane and Lynch... It had the ideas of a really cool cooperative experience that's, yeah. that's asynchronous, that challenges the perceptions. But a couple of limitations in the way yeah. it was implemented didn't quite carry through on that, which is not to speak on the quality of a game overall. Yeah. And it's interesting that it tried using that in a narrative context as opposed to these others that use it in a purely mechanical sense. And of course, Space Team, as we just discussed, is really sort of amping up the urgency of all these things. And all these have a level of urgency about them, but Space Team definitely ratchets that up to 11. You can work with your friends as long as you have enough time. Do you have enough time, though? And I think with that, that's our first live episode of Platforms and Pitfalls. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and everything in, well, usually in the show notes. And I assume there's a link on the stream for us at the moment. So please... Have a listen. Tell us if there's any games that make sense to you to have for us to have talked about that we didn't, or if you want to just talk, uh, get us to expand on a point you made, or you want to just say something to us. Please let us know. We're on Twitter most often. Than yeah, not. we're on Twitter. We've got a Facebook. Yep. And yeah, we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening.